Decided to join us and worship together. It's always good to be together and worship. It's different than uh, doing it on your own. There's something just special that happens when we uh, join our hearts and our voices to worship our God. Would you pray with me? Father God, I praise you for your goodness and your mercy, for your love, and for the hope that you bring. And the fact that, Lord, um, we don't have to fight these battles that are waged against us. And the truth is that uh, your word tells us it's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against, but against the enemy of this world, the powers and principalities of this world that would want to destroy what you've done, destroy your hope. But Lord, you're greater than that, and we praise you for that. We praise you that we could be in your presence. We praise you that we could trust you and love you. And uh, we just want to tell you that today, that we love you. We want to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue worshiping together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of every praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you There is none beside you 
We have a new song for you. The song's called Take Heart, and the, the lyrics are actually directly from Scripture and actually directly from Jesus when he said to us, you know, in this life, there are going to be troubles. And I know that none of us have any problems believing that, right, that there are troubles in this life. But then he said, but take heart and have courage because I'm with you. And what an amazing gift that is for all of us to be able to know that we can take heart because Christ is walking with us through these difficulties. And because of that, great things are gonna come about. And uh, so as we sing this song, uh, I just want you to, you can always welcome to sing along, absolutely. But you can also just sit back, listen to the lyrics and hear the message of that and just reflect on how Christ has walked with you in those hard times. Take heart that his love leads. 
God has overcome all the world in its troubles. Take heart, for He has overcome all the world in its troubles. Take heart, for God has overcome.
thank you for joining us this weekend for our online service. Our hope, our prayer, our desire is that you would be more than just a spectator, that you would be able to fully enter into worship and fully enter into God's word and what he is uh, wanting to do, what he's, what he's inviting you to step into. And that, that's our desire. That's our hope. Uh, before we jump into the message today, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, if you pull out your phone, uh, we say this every week, just think of someone, ask God to lay someone on your heart, uh, send them a message of encouragement, a text message that just says, hey, I'm thinking about you, praying, hope everything's okay. You never know what God's going to do through that text message, and it's a great way for us to stay connected and plugged in during this crazy online time and the season that we're all walking through right now. Uh, I want to point you towards our website and our app. Uh, there's some great resources there for you to be able to stay connected. Um, questions for kids, questions for uh, adults. Uh, there's a daily Bible reading plan there. Uh, I want to encourage you to go and check those things out because they're designed to help you stay connected and navigate through these weekend services. So go check that out. Uh, if you need prayer, we would be honored to be able to pray with you. Just simply text the word prayers uh, to 30500. It would be our privilege to be able to come alongside of you and to pray for whatever it is that you're walking through uh, in this season of your life. The last thing is this. If you go to our website, once again, you'll see an icon there to be able to give. Our pastors tell you this every week, and I just want to reemphasize it. We are so grateful for your faithfulness and your generosity uh, in giving not only to new life, but to God and his kingdom. Uh, there are multiple ways to give here at New Life. You can give online or you can mail in your gift and you will see that address uh, come up here on the screen. Thank you so much for giving and living faithfully. Uh, if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 21 verse 6, Numbers 21 verse 6, we're going to be reading out of Numbers 21 today, but I just want to give you a quick little sound bite, just something to grab your attention, and I will admit it is totally off the wall. Listen to what it says, Numbers 21 6. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, 
and many were bitten and died. (laughs) I'm just going to let that sit there for a sec. I remember the first and only time that I made the choice to run away from home. I was probably seventh or eighth grade. My mom had been on me just kind of, you know, chewing me out for this and riding me for that. And it just seemed like I I was, even though I was only in eighth grade, I was getting fed up with it. And so I had this brilliant idea that I was going to teach my mom a lesson, right? I was going to make this statement, this, this declaration that I had decided that I was running away from home. Now, I had no intention on doing that at all. What I wanted to have happen was for my mom just to melt down into this puddle of tears, begging me to change my mind, begging me to reconsider. That's what I thought was going to happen. So I worked up the courage and I said, that's it. I'm running away from home. And my mom just kind of quietly stood up and she left the room. And it wasn't the reaction that I thought I was going to get from her. Uh, But I thought to myself, well, the tears are going to come. She's just processing right now. So I, you know, made the statement. I had to follow through. So I went to my bedroom. I grabbed a backpack and I started stuffing things inside the backpack. And I had to make it look like I was really going to do this. I was really leaving. And so after my, my bag was packed, I made my way to the door and I said once again, okay, I'm leaving. Mom, are you around? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on just one second. And she comes out of the kitchen and starts walking towards me. And I remember going, okay, this is, where, this is where the tears are about to happen. This is where the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth actually takes place. My mom is going to beg me to stay. And she came and she greeted me at the door. She hands me a brown paper bag that had a sandwich and a bag of chips in it. And she said, hey, I just thought you might get hungry uh, sometime, you know, in the next couple of days. Uh, Hey, there's always a place for you here. We love you. Uh, Good luck. And she just kissed me on the forehead and turned around and left me standing there. Just walked away from me. And here I am with my sack lunch and my backpack. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Like, Now, what am I going to, then I made another very bold declaration. I said, I have decided not to run away. Uh, And and I just went back to my room and just pretended like the whole thing never happened. As parents, there are times where we have to ask ourselves, how far will we go to be able to teach our kids a lesson? How far will we go to be able to protect our kids if they are in danger? My mom knew that, I wasn't going anywhere. She called my bluff. But in order to teach me a lesson, she had to act a certain way, like she was disengaged or she wasn't interested. And I get that now. At the time, I thought, oh, it's a little rough. But I get it now. Because as parents, we have to ask ourselves, how far will we go to save our kids? Now, the story I'm about to tell you is absolutely insane. I admit And and, and it might even be too far for some of us to really kind of comprehend or wrap our heads around. But you have to understand that the dad in this story is, uh, he's needing to do something drastic. See, he needed to save his kids. He was about to lose his kids. And he needed to do something that would shake them to their core. So 
you might have heard it said that uh, God loves all of his children, and this is absolutely true. But uh, God also had a group of children, and when I say children, just know I mean everybody from the little ones all the way through to the, to the, to the grown-ups, to the elderly. We're all God's children, right? So God loves his children, this is true, but he also had uh, a group of children that had a very special place in his heart. Uh, they were God's chosen people, and they were the Israelites. Now, the backstory is this. God's children are being held captive in Egypt. And they're being treated poorly. They're being treated as slaves. And as you can imagine, this wasn't okay with God. So God sent Moses to go and get his people out of Egypt. Moses' job was to go and talk to the authorities to get the rulers there in Egypt to say, hey, God told me to tell you that you better let his people go. After some negotiating and some, you know, all of a sudden the leaders of Egypt said, go, take them, get them out of here, get God's people and go. Moses' job at that point was to take God's people from point A to point B, a place that God had prepared for them and designed for them. And Moses' job was to be that leader that is going to get them from Egypt to the promised land. Now, here's the problem, is that this journey took way longer than anticipated because of the Israelites and the sin that they had in their life, the mindsets that they had, the attitudes that they had, this journey from point A to point B just kept getting stretched out further and further. In fact, it took 40 years. And in those 40 years, God's children, as you can imagine, became restless and they started to complain. Now, God did amazing things to provide for them. Uh, he made water come out of a rock. He made manna or bread to kind of fall out of heaven when they were hungry. He split the Red Sea for them. He did all these things to keep them safe from the Egyptian army that was at this point chasing them down because they wanted to kill them. But yet the people still complained. They, they, they saw the miracles. They saw the provisions. But they were so lost in their own selfishness that they were getting their minds just kind of focused on themselves. Uh, they had this, this attitude that they were like, why, why is it taking so long? And, 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 and we're thirsty and there's nothing to eat. They even caught, called God's manna, the, the, the bread that fell out of it, they even called it worthless food. And, and their complaining turned from just everyday complaints from a kid to a dad to actually speaking out against God. And this is where the wheels kind of fell off. We're going to pick up the story in Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to see what it says. Numbers 21, and it is in verse uh, 6 through 9, and it says this. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. I want to stop right there. I want to make it perfectly clear here that uh, the Lord absolutely knew that some would be bitten. He absolutely knew that some would die, but he needed to do something that would get their attention to save them as a whole, right? He knew he would lose some of them, but in order to turn the whole around, in order to save them as a whole, he needed to do something that would shake them up at their core because he was losing them. See, the Israelites had made a decision that they were going back to Egypt. They had gotten so far lost in their sin and their selfishness that they actually 
actually said, that's it, we're going home. We're going back to Egypt. We give up on all of this. At least there we were taken care of. This is ridiculous. What do we have out here? We have nothing. God doesn't know what he's doing. And they made their minds up that they were going back to Egypt. That's why God sent the snakes. That's why God sent this, this, this shake them up at their core answer to their sin. And it worked. It worked because verse 7 actually says that they actually turned around. Let me read verse 7. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake or the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Crazy, insane, maybe too far for you. But we're talking about a dad who needed to do something drastic because he was about to lose his kids. You know what's ironic to me is that we have this over-the-top, insane story, and it literally takes up four verses in the Old Testament. That's it. It's not talked about again. It's actually not talked about again in the Old Testament. And it's not until the New Testament that there's a reference made, and we're going to get there in just a few but it made me start, start to think something as outrageous as this, sending snakes to get their attention. Some were bitten. Some were going to die. Some did die. There has to be more to the story. There has to be lessons that we can learn. So in the time that I have remaining, I want to pull out a few different lessons for you, lessons that I believe that God wants us to apply to our life as we read these four verses about the bronze snake. And if you're taking notes today, write this down for point number one. God's lesson for me is repentance. God's lesson for me is repentance. Uh, The people came to Moses in verse 7 and they said, listen, we understand, we realize that we have sinned by speaking out against the Lord and against you. And then they prayed, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. They repented. Now, here's the deal. I think a lot of us mesh repentance and forgiveness together. And when I say forgiveness, I mean like asking for forgiveness or apologizing for our actions. We take that, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, and we mix it with, oh, that's repenting. But that's not repenting. They're two totally different things, right? When we repent, we actually stop what we're doing. Repentance is, there's an action behind repentance. There's, there's, there's intention uh, behind repentance. We actually stop what we're doing and we turn around and we go the complete opposite direction. We flee from it. And so we stop what we're doing, whether it's a sinful action or it's a mindset or it's a thought process or whatever the case may be, we stop what we're doing, we turn 180 and we go the opposite direction. When I apologize for my sins, that's not what God's asking. God's not asking me to go, oh, Lord, I'm sorry that I did this today. Um, That wasn't good of me. Uh, Please forgive me of my sins. But there's no meat behind it. There's no action behind it. That's not what God's asking. What he's asking of his people, what he's asking for us, what he wants us to understand through this lesson of the bronze snake is stop what you're doing and turn around. The Israelites 
had complained, they had fussed, they had bickered, they had lost faith in God, and they were making a statement saying, we are done. We're done following you, we're done believing in you, and we are going back to Egypt. And he went, no, you're not. And he shook them up at their core. And when they realized it, they came and they repented. Um, Philippians 3.18 is a great verse that kind of talks about when we put ourselves uh, before God, when we put our wants, our needs, our desires before God, and, and it's Paul talking about it. Isn't, isn't that what sin really is? Is really all sin boils down to is when I put what I want before what God wants, when I put my needs before God's needs. And, and in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, I'm gonna read it for you. Uh, Paul talks about this and he says, for I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. What he's saying is this, there's a lot who say they believe, but their actions, their mindset, their thoughts, it doesn't line up and they're really enemies of the cross. And it says they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Some of your translations might say their God is their stomach. And it has nothing to do with the food they're eating. It has everything to do with their desires. What he's saying is this, their God is themselves. They've put themselves before God. They serve themselves. Their eyes are on themselves. Their eyes are on whatever their gut tells them that they desire. That's their God. That's what they pursue. That's what they go after. It's interesting that the Israelites were doing this exact thing. We're tired of this. We don't believe you anymore. We want to go home. We don't like the manna. We don't like the bread. We, we're going to put us first. We're done. We're leaving. That's exactly what you and I do. God is asking us to repent. He's asking us to stop, to turn around, to walk the other direction. And he says it to us over and over again. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Listen to this. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. When you look at this bronze snake story in Numbers, there's a lesson of repentance there. And it's a lesson that you and I, we need to not overlook it, but we need to grab onto it and apply it to our life. Write this down for number two. God's lesson for me is faith. God's lesson for me is faith. Uh, God took the very thing, the poisonous snake, and interesting enough, he didn't remove it. The Israelites actually prayed to Moses, said, please pray on our behalf and ask God to remove the snakes. God didn't actually remove the snake. He left the snakes there as, I think, as a reminder of uh, their sin as a reminder of them getting their eyes off of him, as a reminder of the day or the time that they actually repented. And instead of removing the snakes, he actually brings the antidote. But what's interesting is he takes the one thing that is actually causing the pain, the one thing that's actually bringing the poison, and he turns that one thing into the antidote. He tells Moses, make a replica of that snake. Put it on a stick, raise it up in camp for everyone to look at. And if they just believe, if they look and they believe, they'll be healed. Can you see the lesson in faith there? Guys, it, everything we do in our journey with Christ and our walk to become more like him, it takes faith. 
Faith to believe he is who he says he is. Faith to believe that he can forgive our sins. Faith to believe that he loves us enough to want to do that. Faith to believe that we're worthy of that. Faith to believe that he can do what he says he's going to do. Our entire life in Christ takes faith. And there's a lesson there when he tells Moses, take a snake, make it into a, you know, take some bronze, make it look like a snake, put it up on a stick. Anyone who believes in it, anyone who sees it and believes it, they will be healed, period. That's it. There's that lesson in faith there. And it it is absolutely just it's mind-blowing when you stop and you actually look at it. Now, here's the thing, is that if we can get our head and our heart to believe the same thing, we're in good shape. But there's so many times in our life <clears throat> that our head and our heart do not line up. And this is what I'm talking about. Have you ever uh, heard of a platitude before? A platitude is simply a statement that has been said so many times that it's kind of lost its effect. And this is what I mean by it. Uh, You hear people say, good things come to those who wait. That's a platitude. It's nice to say and it's nice to hear and we all go, yeah, you're right. But nobody really believes it down deep inside. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, When we say things like, uh, everything happens for a reason. Okay. Kind of makes me want to punch you in the face, but I get what you're saying. But it's a statement that's been said so many times it's lost its faith. This is what I mean by a faith of having your head and your heart line up. See, as Christians, we have our own set of platitudes, things that we say over and over again. Our head says them. Our head knows them. But does our heart believe it? Things like God is in control. Things like... um, Uh, nothing is impossible for God. Things like God always has a plan. These are things that we say and we hear, but does it mean anything anymore? Is it just a platitude? See, when we have enough faith that our head can say one thing and our heart actually lines up with it, that's when we're in really, really good shape. And I think that the lesson that God was trying to prove, the lesson he was, he was trying to teach his people is to have that kind of faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it's when our head and our heart believe the same thing. That's the kind of faith we need to follow God. Write this down for number three. The third lesson for me in this bronze snake story is God's lesson for me is restoration. This, to me, is the crescendo, the most exciting part. This is the reason I wanted to share this message with you, because if you haven't put the pieces together yet, if you don't know where I'm going yet, let me drop a little bit of good news on you. See, we have our own bronze snake. You and me, we have our own antidote to the poison, our own miracle, our own faith-based thing that says if you look at it and you believe in it, you will be saved, you will be healed, you will be restored. And that one thing is Jesus. What's amazing to me is the foreshadowing that took place from Numbers 
to 1400 years later when Jesus actually talks about this very thing. Remember I told you that in, in the Old Testament there's only one time that this story is talked about. I think there's another book of the Bible that just makes a, a tiny mention about it, but it's four verses and then it's over and done with. But then if you look at the foreshadowing that takes place, 1400 years after Moses put a snake on the stick, Jesus is having a conversation in a place where him and this man named Nicodemus are actually having a conversation. And Nicodemus comes to him and he says, Jesus, I need to ask you questions. I don't understand what your grace and your forgiveness are all about. I don't understand how to live life eternally with you. I don't understand how to be born again. And him and Jesus are actually having a conversation Ironically, in the dark of night, because Nicodemus didn't want anybody to know that Jesus was actually having a conversation with him, Nicodemus wasn't supposed to believe in Jesus. If you want to know more about it, check it out in John chapter 3. Now, if you remember, John chapter 3 is where we get the most popular verse of all time. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He's talking to Nicodemus when that scripture comes out of his mouth. Just a couple of scriptures before that, in verse 14, Jesus makes reference to something that happened 1,400 years ago, and I want to read it for you. John 3, 13 through 16, a conversation with Nicodemus, and it says this. No one, these are Jesus' words, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Remember, he's talking to Nicodemus. And then he says this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, the one verse everybody knows. For this is how God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 14, Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, 1,400 years ago, Moses put a snake on a pole and lifted it up. And all you have to do is look at it. All you have to do is believe, and the poison will leave your body. You will be healed. And he tells Nicodemus, I'm that snake. And I will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. And anyone who believes in him, anyone who looks at him, anyone who just casts their eyes on him and believes, has the faith to believe, repents from their own ways, turns around, goes the anyone who believes will be restored. There's a message in restoration there. And it's life-changing and it's powerful. And I, that's the one thing that I, the reason I wanted to tell you this story is because it blows my mind that there was something that happened that was so ridiculous in numbers that 1,400 years later, Jesus says, I'm the snake. I'm the one. I'm the answer to the poison. And I don't know about you, but that blows me away and it humbles me. Here's the bottom line. I talk to students, I talk to young adults, and I've kind of taught myself how to bottom line my message. And what this is, is if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus, just like our parents, will go to extreme measures to teach you and to keep you safe. Jesus, God, does the exact same thing in our lives. He will go to extreme measures to teach us a lesson, to keep us safe, to shake us by the shoulders and say, wake up. I need you to understand something because it's easy to forget. 
He loves you so much that he sent his son for you to die on a cross, to be lifted up for all to see so that anyone who looks at him, anyone who believes, anyone who has enough faith to say, yes, please, I want that forgiveness. I need the poison gone. Anybody who looks at him says, says it's, it's, it's gone. He, it's, it's, it's the great exchange. I'll take away the poison. I'll put in life and hope and holiness. And all you have to do is believe. Today I wanted to bring you this lesson and I, I was hoping and, and praying that, that there would be two individuals out there that would be listening, two different types of individuals. The one that says, I needed to be reminded of that. And the lesson in, in uh, repentance and the lesson in faith and the re lesson in reconciliation is a great reminder. It's a shot in the arm that's gonna help me stand up and realize this is what God did for me. And I hope that that's what it was for you today, that encouragement. The other person that I was hoping would be out there today listening is the person that says, I need that. I got poison in my life. I got sin in my life. I got ugliness in my life. And I didn't know that all I had to do was look and believe. I didn't know that, that he was the antidote, that he was the answer. If that's you today, I just simply want to say this. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins and if we believe, that he'll be faithful to forgive us. And so what I want to do is this, right where you're at, in your home, in your car, whatever you're, however you're watching or listening, if that's you today and you're like, I want to start a relationship with Jesus, I just simply want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, just to repeat this prayer. So if you bow your heads, close your eyes, I want, I want to pray this prayer with you and you repeat it. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Forgive me of my past. Wash me of my sins. I believe in you, and I choose to follow you. Amen. Guys, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That's it. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus, the Son of Man will be lifted up and anyone who looks at him and believes, the poison will be gone. They will be saved. If you prayed that prayer, if you made that decision, if you were intentional in your heart of hearts to say, today's the day that I choose to follow Christ, the Bible says you are forgiven. You are saved. What I want to do as a church, what we want to do is come alongside of you and just encourage you. So just like we talked about prayers earlier, if you made a decision today to follow Christ, if you just text decision, the word decision, to 30500, we just want to send you some resources and some help. We want to encourage you on this decision that you made today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for participating and being an active participant in our online service. We love you. We pray for you daily. We are here for you. Reach out. Let us know what we can do to come alongside of you. God bless you. I pray that the week is fantastic, and we hope to see you again next weekend. We love you. Have a great weekend.